for episode one of the Golden Knights Watch podcast. I'm Jack Manning. I'm AJ Alexander. And man, it still hasn't set in, Jack. It really hasn't. Hockey is just a few days away. Hockey's a few days away and we are back, baby. It, the, the season is opening up. The Vegas Golden Knights are stacked to the hilt with talent from top to bottom, from left to right, just not quite down the middle. And mm. things are looking good for the season. We've got two elite goaltenders who apparently are going to split time to open the season with an all-out battle to claim the net. It is time to talk Golden Knights. And with a Stanley Cup team, a team that's going to be in the thick of things all the way through the playoffs, usually there aren't a whole lot of things to talk about. Usually with a team like that, the lineup is more or less set, but I don't see it that way at all with this Golden Knights roster. Well, see, I tend to disagree with you. I think that... I think that Pete DeBoer has a pretty good idea of what his lines look like. And and that's really played itself out in in training camp so far, at least as far as I've been able to tell on those broadcasts and uh, from, from what the players seem to mention in their interviews, it seems that the original misfit line, William Carlson, Riley Smith, and Jonathan Marcheseau are back together on the original misfit line. And they're scoring at, at a, at a, a blistering fast pace. And then you've got your second line. I'm going to call it the second line of Mark right. Stone, Max Pacioretty, and somebody. <laughs> More like a 1B line. But yeah, the somebody is interesting, isn't it? Yeah. So right now they're skating uh, with Chandler Stevenson, former fourth line center of the Washington Capitals, who was just days away from being waived last season, is now the second line center on what is supposed to be the Stanley Cup favorite, uh, at least coming out of the West, uh, competing with only maybe the, the Colorado Avalanche. And so the other person competing for that job, at least in theory, is none other than the sixth overall pick from the 2017 draft, Cody Glass, who comes to camp a full 15 pounds of muscle heavier, weighing in at 207 muscly pounds ready to play at least for now on a third line uh with alex tuck and nick waugh uh but obviously i think the team would love for him to show enough that he's ready to take over that second line duty ready to take out the fourth line center for the washington capitals and chandler stevenson and be the guy that they go to but it's clear at least from the outset of the season that's not what uh, pete DeBoer has in mind what do you think about that Well, let me actually counter that with another question because it seemed like a lot of other experts in the Golden Knights sphere, if you will, predicted that Cody Glass would center Mark Stone and Max Pacioretty. And in fact, our very own Jack Manning predicted that. Why were you guys so quick to assign him what, let's just be honest here. Yes, the misfit line, while it's great, it's still connected. It's not the first line of this team. They can call it that. And we could even do the 1A, 1B thing. But let's be honest. The most talented line, regardless of who's at center, is going to be Max Pacioretty, Mark Stone. So why, let me just ask you personally, why were you so quick to assign Cody Glass that position when in reality he hasn't done a whole lot to prove why he should have been there in the first place? Was it just to alleviate the pressure on him? What exactly was your thought process there? Yeah, so my view is that Cody Glass 
should eventually have that role at some point this season. And the reason for that is that at the core of who Cody Glass is as a player is he's a skilled, tough, good player who happened to have a couple of injuries. And I think that if he hadn't gone down with injury towards the end of last season, and he had had a chance to really rehab throughout and make an appearance in the playoffs, I think that he would be the natural fit in that second line spot. I think that his skill set matches up extremely well with Max Pacioretty and Mark Stone, neither of whom are particularly fast, uh, but both you really use their hockey IQ to, to, to dominate the ice. And that's the same style of play that Cody Glass works with. And I think that they would have made an exceptional line. But if we're being honest, to if we're going to throw Cody Glass in as the second or first line center on a Stanley Cup contender without having played an NHL game in almost 12 months and only having played about 47, I think, games is what his total was last year. Uh, 39, actually. 39 games uh, the Golden in, Knights in his entire career in the NHL that's just too much too soon and I think just about everyone would agree with that but if he had had the opportunity to play all through last year if he had been able to stay healthy if he had had the full summer to train and rehab uh, or not needed to rehab then I think it would be a natural fit but it isn't. And I think the team's doing the right thing by him by not forcing him into a role that he's not quite ready for. Instead, he'll be on a young line with Alex Tuck and, and Nick Waugh, at least to start the season, where there's going to be slightly less pressure, slightly uh, weaker opponents in, in terms of line matchups, and ideally is going to give him an opportunity to shine on the power play and in other situations that are a little bit more sheltered. And so the other thing that I think about that line, particularly Max Pacioretty and Mark Stone, is that Pete DeBoer is infamous for switching up lines mid-game. And so there's no reason to think that Cody Glass won't get an opportunity to play with that line at least, you know, a couple of shifts a game, if not more, uh, certainly as time goes on. So the reason I think he, he fits well with that line is I think the, the style comparison is really, is really close, but... I, I would hate to see him rushed into that position sooner than he's ready. And frankly, I would have expected him to be a little bit further along by now, if, if I'm being honest. That's totally fair. And I appreciate that. I think that uh, I'm a little harder on him than you are. And that's, you know, that's understandable. He had some excellent plays last season, which side note feels like it was three years ago, but at any rate, he had a lot of no look passes that were just incredible things that, 90% of players wouldn't attempt most of the time. He had a lot of plays, but at the same time, he got knocked off of the puck a lot of times. And we mentioned the injury uh, issues. Hopefully the weight doesn't slow him down at all. I mean, geez, the kid's 21. I think he'll be able to handle it. <laughs> but uh, this is definitely, I wouldn't call it a make or break season for him, but it's, it's a pivotal one for his entire career going forward, I'd say. Oh, absolutely. You know, there's there's no such thing as a make or break season when someone's 21 years old. But I think to your point, this is a this is a season that is really going to impact the remainder of his career, because this is when he's going to have an opportunity to not have to be the guy, because if Chandler Steven is your second line center going into the 21, 22 season, something's gone horribly, horribly awry. Uh, <laughs> so the Knights need Cody Glass to step up and be something this year. It, 
if they're if their plan for the team is going to play out like they expect it to. I'm not saying they can't be successful without Cody Glass being a number two center, but I am saying that the plan that they had to draft and develop and build from within, that's not going to play out the way they hoped if the next center in line is someone like Peyton Krebs, who is still a very, very good player and I think will get NHL games this year, but he too is probably too young to be centering the second line of a, of a Stanley Cup contender. I've got a follow-up question involving Peyton Krebs, but I just want to take just a moment, just a brief, brief moment here to imagine a world where Vancouver drafted Cody Glass and Pedersen fell to Vegas. How would you feel right now in a sentence or two? I don't know why you would torture me with such wonderful dreams. <laughs> That's a horrible thing to do, AJ, but you know, I... Listen, That's why I love my job on this podcast. Yeah, Elias Pedersen is an outstanding player, a, probably a top 20 player in the league, certainly a top 20 center. Um, and, and so, yeah, it would have been fantastic if the Golden Knights had drafted Elias Pedersen at sixth overall and Cody Glass had ended up a, a, a Canuck. But, you know, at the same time, there's no guarantee that the Golden Knights would have taken Elias Pedersen at sixth overall. Do you That's, think they would have had a cup by now? Let's end the discussion there. You know what, if... I will say that if Elias Patterson had been the center for the Vegas Golden Knights last year, I think it would have been really hard to beat them. I think I think that any team running up against them uh, would have had a really tough time, including the ultimate champions, the the Tampa Bay Lightning. I know that's the, the most that I'll get out of you there, so I'll leave it alone. But going back to Peyton Krebs, before when we were talking about Cody Glass possibly centering the third line, you made it seem as if that line is pretty much solidified in your mind. Tell us why Krebs may be on the outside looking in as far as that's concerned, because I know a lot of fans were looking forward to him being a possible dark horse to make the team. Sure. So as we're recording this, uh, it was announced today that Peyton Krebs and Caden Korzak have been assigned along with 11 other players uh, to the Henderson Silver Knights. And the reason they've been assigned to the Henderson Silver Knights is they've just come off a, a really impressive performance at the World Junior Championship. Both both players, Caden Korzak and Peyton Krebs, playing for the silver medalist uh, Canadian team. Uh, and they both looked really, really good. It, I actually went back and looked at some of the advanced stats. Caden Korzak, although he was the seventh defenseman, uh, was uh, fourth overall in expected goals per 60 and uh, expected points per 60 uh, um, amongst defensemen for the Canadian team. So he showed some really good physicality in that uh, uh, junior championship as well. Exactly. I mean, if, if you're looking for a comparable for Caden Korzak, think of a, a Braden McNabb with just a little bit more oh, scoring okay. scoring potential. Um, he's I got like a really, that. really heavy slap shot, a pretty decent playmaker. Um, you know, he's not a Shea Theodore by by any stretch, but, you know, that, like I say, Braden McNabb with a little bit more to his game and, and a possibility to play something like an Alex Petrangelo, but Again, style, not quality. If you're expecting anyone to be the, you know, a, a Norris caliber defenseman out of any prospect pool, that's a that's a big ask. But uh, Caden Korzak is a, is a really good, solid player that's going to play some really nice minutes for the Henderson Silver Knights. But to your original question, Peyton Krebs, uh, you know, even though he was one of the most effective forwards for a stacked Canadian team that probably has. 
three to five NHL players that were playing in their top six. Peyton Krebs is going to need a little bit of time to get himself up to speed. This is a kid that after the season closed in March, uh, although he came to the bubble, didn't get any time uh, playing for the Vegas Golden Knights, only got I think it was seven or eight games uh, playing at the World Juniors. He just needs more time to play hockey. And so as he's getting himself ready for the season, going to the Henderson Silver Knights training camp, what we can expect to see from him is probably get some time to acclimate to the team, acclimate to the city, get a couple of, uh, of practices in. And my guess is he's one of the first call-ups uh, from, the, from the Silver Knights as soon as there's an injury. Even though there's a taxi squad, I don't expect the taxi squad to necessarily be the pool from which players are taken. I think they're going to take the best player available to them. And right now, as I look at the players that that showed up to camp and the way that they played, I think that Peyton Krebs is a significant step ahead of the other the other prospects in the system and even more so than some of the veterans that they're ultimately going to have on the taxi squad guys like Thomas Yurko and, and Dylan Sakura. I agree. And you almost have to wonder if it was a deliberate move to get Peyton Krebs into the playoff bubble to give him just a little bit more experience. I mean, this is a blue chip prospect that you've got in your system. Why not bring him along to experience this along with the veterans practice with these guys just to see what he's all about, how he fits in. I mean, the thing about it, 2018-19 season for Peyton Krebs in the WHL, 64 games, 19 goals, 49 assists for 68 points. Well, the next season, 12 goals, 48 assists, 60 points, but he did that in 38 games. Obviously, another year in the WHL would not have done a whole lot as far as his development, which, I mean, is going to be a rough ride for basically every team in this league as far as developing new prospects right now in the midst of COVID and the difficulties we've seen from that. But it's pretty obvious that Peyton Krebs belongs at least in the AHL until further notice. Exactly. And so, you know, I, you know, while I'm not thrilled that there's a pandemic, you know, that's spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> hot take, Jack. Yeah, hot that take. real hot take. I'm not a big <laughs> fan of pandemics. Uh, the one silver lining that I can think of that's come out of this is that Peyton Krebs is going to get an opportunity to play in the AHL or at least practice with the AHL uh, before the WHL comes back. Uh, the WHL is committed, at least this is what they announced yesterday, they're committed to a 24-game season. And tw- first of all, 24 <laughs> games is almost nothing. I mean, that, Pointless. that's... It, it's it really not... Is. I mean, I'd rather have 24 games than zero games, but 24 games doesn't really help the guys that are well-established in, in their WHL careers. A guy like Peyton Krebs if he were to miss an entire AHL season for 24 WHL games, uh, it would just be sad. And so fortunately it appears that there's at least a temporary understanding that until the WHL season opens up players that are signed with their NHL team can play with and practice with the AHL team uh, at least until that season opens. And so while the WHL says they're committed to a 24 game season, I have my doubts that they're ever going to be able to get a league up and running if only because 
they simply don't have the same resources to protect their players for, from COVID-19. It's just a, a much different situation as compared to the NHL or the world juniors. Even when you looked at those world junior teams, you know, the German team lost some of their top players for the entirety of the tournament, simply because it's too difficult to try and guarantee that people are going to be healthy when they're traveling. Or accountable. And that's, that's going to be such a huge deal as far as the war of attrition that this season will be. We'll get to that a little bit later, but let me ask you a question. We talked about the offense a little bit as far as line possibilities are concerned, but there's a lot going on on defense too. Today we saw Nick Holden waived and surely this is, you know, mainly due to cap reasons, but at the same time, disagree. uh, Hard disagree. Well, let me stop you there. Like I said, at the same time, you've got Nick Haig pushing for a spot as well. A spot that is next to his former defensive pairing line mate next to Zach Whitecloud. And they had incredible chemistry. Is this Nick Haig pushing Nick Holden out? Is this a cap move? Go ahead and tell us what that's all about. Yeah. As they say in my native Canada, porque lo nos dos. A. A exactly. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm with you. Nice. I I I hear what you're saying. Yes, would Nick Holden have been waived if the Golden Knights had ten million dollars of extra cap space? No, of, of course not. They they wouldn't want to risk losing the player if they don't have to. But at the same time, Nick Haig looked like a capable NHL player last year, and Nick Holden didn't always look like a capable NHL player. Um, I don't think Nick Holden's a bad player, not by any stretch of the imagination, but he's probably best suited to be a seventh defenseman on a Stanley Cup contender. Yeah, and it's like exactly he had his he, he had his stretches that were that were hot, if you will, for you know a bottom pairing defenseman. But overall, Nick Haig was a little bit more consistent, which is strange because we're talking about a veteran and a rookie, but the roles should be switched there. Exactly. I agree. And, and Nick Haig offers some things that Nick Holden just simply never will. The, the shot that Nick Haig has, you know, while the Golden Knights don't particularly need a lot of extra offense in, in the lineup right now, Nick Haig offers a, a, an absolute howitzer of a, of a slap shot and also has a pretty deft little sinking wrist shot too that really can get to the net and create rebounds and if his junior days are any indication has the ability to score a pretty significant number of goals and and Nick Holden, while he's a solid defenseman and looked good when paired with, uh, with white cloud, if your rookie in white cloud is the one raising the game of your veteran defenseman, that's a serious problem. Right. And so if, White Cloud can raise the game for Haig and Haig can raise the game for White Cloud as they did in the AHL. I think that's a, it's an easy move to make. It's really hard to manufacture chemistry. And that's something those two guys have in absolute spades. And if we can get that first glimpse of a, of the future middle pair or top pair for the golden Knights, and that's probably a little bit optimistic, but if we can get a, if we can get a a good look at a solid pair of defensemen that are going to be on that blue line for a long, long time, I'm here for it. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about a combination of Nick Haig, a six, six, two twenty one defender with Zach Whitecloud, who is defensively responsible. He's six, two, two Oh nine. So you've got some really decent size there. Some grit. One thing I will say 
Haig last year when he did get in there during the Gallant era, which sounds just strange to even say, relied on his poke check a little bit too much and not necessarily his size. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think that's fair. But I also think that that's probably a a, a bit of a, a red herring, a bit of a false, you know, sure. false sign. And the reason for that is Nick Haig was a brutal, brutal guy in the OHL. I mean, we're talking about guys having it out for him because he would lay these massive brutal hits and and so i don't worry about his ability to to play the body i think what happened last year is you had a gangly kid at six six who didn't quite have all that man strength and he didn't want to go out and hit a you know just for example didn't want to go out and hit a blake wheeler if blake wheeler can hit him just as hard right back and so i think that's that's probably what it was is just a little bit of hesitation from a rookie and I bet we see a much more physical Nick Haig this year. So that 2017 draft class just needed to grow up a little bit. You know, that's what we're seeing. And, and it's really nice for the first time that the Vegas Golden Knights are really seeing some of the fruits of, of their drafting ability. So let's let's just leave Cody Glass out of this for the time being. But, sure. you know, when you look at Nick Haig, who was taken you know, early in the second round of the 2017 draft, this is a kid that fell in the first round down to the second and you know people said his skating was never going to be good enough to allow him to be, a, to be an effective NHLer but what I've seen in training camp so far is that that stride that was a little bit broken that, that just was a little bit ugly in his junior days he's found a way to correct it and he's found a way to put some strength behind that stride and so he probably won't ever be a Shea Theodore style skater and that's totally okay but he is certainly not a slow skater any anymore. Not by not by the the video I've seen, and he's he's go, he gets around the ice well enough to use his size that he can use that poke check when he needs to. He, he's got a seven foot stick on a probably a three and a half foot arm. That's a twenty foot diameter area that that's a, <laughs> that that kid can cover. That's pretty impressive. Fair enough. Fair enough. So, but by the, the way. The, but beyond that, you have two you have two other guys from the 2017 draft that are fighting for roster spots right now. Uh, and although both of these guys got assigned to the Henderson Silver Knights this year, uh, both Jack Dugan and Lucas Alvena showed some some really nice flashes during camp. And, and I would expect that those two will be towards the top of the call up list. I would be I'd be more than a little surprised if neither of those guys got an NHL game this year. In a minute or two, since we're talking about this, what defines the taxi squad as opposed to let's have this guy actually play in Henderson? Who do you want on the taxi squad as opposed to a call-up option? Is it just the waivers or is there other factors involved as far as the Jack Manning taxi squad? Yeah, so the Jack Manning taxi squad is, is pretty easy to define. I don't want anyone on the taxi squad that I think is going to be good. Okay. And, and what I mean by that is I don't want anyone on the taxi squad that I think needs more time to develop uh, so that eventually they can be a star or eventually they can be a really strong contributor to the Golden Knights. What I want on the taxi squad are guys like Nick Holden and Thomas Yurko uh, and Dylan Sakura and, and Carl Dahlstrom, all these guys who are – journeyman bottom of the lineup or 
AHL tweener guys that can come up, play a few games and not lose anything by not playing for a little while. I need guys that are okay with riding pine for a long stretch and being okay with it. If Peyton Krebs, because he's playing so well down in the AHL gets a call up right past all of those guys and gets to come directly onto the roster and contribute. Because I think that's what the Golden Knights are aiming for right now. They are aiming for a time in this season when they can bring up some of these younger guys after they've had a chance to get some more game action and be contributors. Because if this team is going to go far, if they're going to be as deep as we all think they're going to be, they need contributions from those young guys. Uh, but before they can do it, they need time to get their game legs back under them and learning in the NHL in a 56 game season where each game is essentially worth a game and a half. You can't have young guys stumbling and making mistakes on the NHL roster. Not this year. Okay. So, I mean, we talked the actual offensive lineup, which I think we both agree on will sort of shuffle itself throughout the season, especially with a shortened year, the defensive lineups, of course, are what they are with the youth pushing the veterans and the cap situation. But let's talk about goaltender. I mean, that's the easiest position to predict in Vegas, isn't it? <laughs> well, <laughs> listen, you know, if you if you listen to, to Pete DeBoer, and you absolutely should, because, well, he knows, uh, you should expect to see Marc-Andre Fleury and Robin Leonard splitting starts through the first portion of the season both guys getting an equal number and i think that makes all the sense in the world not only is this a compacted schedule where they need both guys to be fresh but at the end of the day you've got two world-class potentially world-class goaltenders on your roster and if mark andre Fleury still has some elite goaltending left in the tank do you really want to leave it in the tank i don't think you can take that risk i think you have to let him prove that he's either the better or the worst goaltender of the two. Well, especially he, on that contract. Especially on that contract. Uh, and, you know, if he plays out of his mind well, or even a, you know better than average, you can probably get someone to take his contract next year if you, that's really what you want. But on the other hand, if he plays out of his mind well and so well that it would be a downgrade to have Leonard in net as your starter, then you might as well just ride this time out. But what more can any player ask from this team than to say, hey, give me a fair shake. Let me prove that I'm still the better guy the same way that you'd be able to on any other line, any other position on the team. So as much as you hate to ever have five million bucks riding pine, seven million bucks riding pine. That's the situation they put themselves in. And so now let's figure out which one's actually better. So you agree with DeBoer's approach uh, as we know it, because to me, it sounds a little bit like, well, we're just going to see or treat the regular season as a tryout for the playoffs. And I, I mean, is is that true in your mind? I mean, so, I mean, with the top four teams from every division making the, making the playoffs, you know, and especially in a division where there's only three teams that are locks in St. Louis, Vegas, and, and avalanche. It's a know, tough division for sure. 
the top three are tough, but the bottom five are, it's a crapshoot. Some team that doesn't deserve to be in the playoffs is going to make it from the, from the West division. And so if the golden Knights are essentially going to have a cakewalk into the playoffs, and I'm not saying it's going to be easy, but it's not going to be particularly hard for them. Sure. Then, you know what, why not make the regular season Oh, an extended tryout to figure out what you're going to take with you into that final 16 potential wins to get yourself to a Stanley Cup. The other concern there is that we've got the Olympics looming and a lot of people are treating the Olympics as a hard deadline as far as the season ending. How big of an impact do the Olympics actually make? Because, I mean, we've got COVID. We saw what happened with the NFL several teams had to postpone games and I'm I'm almost going to guarantee that we will see postpone games in the NHL if we haven't already at this rate by the time this gets posted is it even more important to have two goaltenders that can have that can handle back-to-backs because I mean this season is littered with them but I think we may see even more based on postponed games something that no one has ever prepared for yeah, you know, I, I am expecting that they will need both goaltenders throughout the entire season. At some point, that that balance of, you know, 50-50 is probably going to shift to a 60-40 or even a 70-30. But they're going to need both guys throughout because n- nobody is built to play every single day. Nobody's built to play 56 right. games in, a, you know, 120 nights. That's too much on the body. Um so I would expect them both to, to, to get significant minutes and to have a, a, a really good season. And so, you know, to, to answer your question, you know, if you look at, the, at what most teams did this summer, more often than not, teams were stacking up with two good goalies if they could. You, know, the, you look at the Canucks, they, ha- they already had Thatcher Demko and they let Markstrom walk, but then they went out and signed Braden Holtby, a reliable veteran backup. And this, you know, this the same is true in in Arizona. They kept their two high end goalies, and part of Washington that was, attempted it. Unfortunately. Yeah, Washington, Washington attempted it, but they're still going to have a, a pretty decent tandem. And, and you know, the 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 whole point is that right now in this season, goalies are at a premium, which is funny because at the summer it seemed like there were more goalies than jobs, and you know, by the time the season came around, that dried up real quick. So that's true. You know, I, I, I don't think there's much chance that this team would trade Robin Leonard at this point. I think that that's really, really unlikely. But I do think that if both goalies play extremely well headed through this season and however the season ends, if both goalies are good, the Knights will have options available to them come next year that would mean they wouldn't necessarily have to have millions of dollars sitting on the bench each and every night. In a word or few, do the Olympics act as an artificial sort of unspoken deadline for the NHL season? Yeah, I mean, I think if the Olympics are going to happen, absolutely. That Because NBC does both the Olympics and the NHL, they're only going to be able to host one at a time. That being said, it does seem to me that it's a little bit aggressive to think that the Olympics are, are going to be able to go forward in... July, especially in the course of a pandemic 
when getting people from all around the world into a small village and having them, you know, be as uh, in close physical proximity is probably asking for trouble. I hope it happens. I love the Olympics. I would love to see it go off without a hitch. Yeah. I just don't know if it's possible this year. All right. So let's make some predictions here. Let's go on the record, my friend. Let's All right. start with just a player versus player lineup. Which player do you expect to have the better season? Wait, so how are we defining better season? Like more points, just better, like however I feel, or like, uh, you know, is, is a better person? Yes. Okay, great. <laughs> Cody Glass versus Chandler Stevenson at center. I'll, uh, I'll qualify that by saying at center because maybe one moves to the wing. Who knows? Okay, so Chandler Stevenson has a more consistent season, but Cody Glass is better by the end of the season. Okay, all right. Safe, but, you know, I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> Nick Waugh versus Chandler Stevenson, since Stevenson maybe uh, isn't at the top of the lineup anymore by the time Glass heats up. All right, my prediction, hot take, Nick Waugh stays the third line center after uh, Chandler Stevenson gets knocked out of the second line center job by glass. Stevenson plays left wing or Wah wins. I like both. I like it. This just proves that Chandler Stevenson can literally go anywhere in the lineup in Excel. I mean, uh, granted his season last year pretty much proved that, but it's just great to see him just, Excel anywhere he goes. Anyways, here's a tough one. Max Pacioretty versus Mark Stone. Max Pacioretty scores 34 goals, but Mark Stone has a, a career year, scores 80 points, and wins the Selkie. Mark Stone. Ooh. We got trophy predictions here. All right. Well, we're speaking of hardware. Max Pacioretty versus the post. My goodness, is he going to hit the post every other shot like he did last year, seemingly? Or are we going to see Patches just explode? Uh, I'm, taking, I'm taking Patches to explode here. I think that he came to camp with a mission, primarily put into him by his agent, uh, Alan Walsh. And Alan Walsh, who also represents Marc-Andre Fleury, wants to prove that his clients reign supreme Max Pacioretty beats the post. It's not difficult to get up for games or motivated for seasons when Alan Walsh is stirring the pot right behind you and your bank account. All right. Think you're so tough. Let's hit you with a few real tough ones. I've got at least three here that'll really get you. Nick Haig versus Zach Whitecloud. Nick Haig has a 10-goal season, 40 points, no, 30 points, 30 points, 10 goals, 30 points. Uh, but, but because Zach Whitecloud is still technically eligible to be a rookie and win the Calder, <laughs> Zach Whitecloud is a Calder finalist. Zach Whitecloud wins. Guys, I'm just warning you right now. If Zach Whitecloud is hot for the Calder throughout the season, my Twitter feed will be full of Zach Whitecloud hype. I'm just saying right now, just as a warning. But Nick Haig, 10 goals. I mean, look, his first full season in Chicago in the AHL, 75 games, 13 goals. But then again, 
This is a guy who scored 35 goals in a 67 game season in 2017 with Mississauga. Like you said earlier, you alluded to it. He might be a dark horse to just explode next year. Yeah. All right. And admittedly, I'm blowing sunshine up everybody's rear end right now. But you know what? That's isn't that why we watch hockey? Isn't that the whole point of hockey is to be optimistic and 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 enjoy things? Isn't it? Let me tell you something, brother. If you're not hyped up for a team that is a Stanley Cup contender and that has got premium rookies pushing veterans, again, on a Stanley Cup contender, that's not easy. If you're not hyped about these young guys, then what are you listening for? I mean, we appreciate it, but why are you here? I'm just saying, if your hockey talk is making you hate your team, you know. Maybe you deserve Nick Holden as your bottom defense. (laughs) (laughs) Let's do it. All right. Here's a tough one. Shea Theodore, Alex Petrangelo. I don't even think this one is close. I think Shea Theodore is the better defenseman, is the better offensive player. I think Shea Theodore, and this is not sunshine being blown up your bum. I think Shea Theodore is a legitimate Norris candidate this year and is going to have an opportunity to prove himself uh, to to the league as a whole. And I think he's going to outplay Petrangelo. Petrangelo will look like a very, very, very good 2D. So let me just push you a little bit more there. Alex Petrangelo, last year, career high, 16 goals in 70 games. Yep. Shea Theodore, career high, 13 goals in 71 games. Who finishes the season with more goals? Shea Theodore, hands down. I think Shea Theodore is going to kiss 15, could kiss 20. Interesting. So where's Petrangelo at then? I think Petrangelo is going to take a minor step back. I think he's going to do 10 goals, but I think he's going to be awesome defensively. I think the way that they will be used is going to be a little bit different. I think when they need a goal, it's going to be Shea Theodore on the ice. Could be both, but it's definitely going to be Shea. When they're down a goal, or excuse me, when they're up a goal and they're trying to defend uh, that lead, I think your first option is going to be Petrangelo. You might have them both in both those situations, but I think that's where where the the winds are going to blow. Petrangelo and Hag tied for goals potentially at yeah. ten. All yeah. right, I like yeah. it. You know, I what? like it. That's way, bravery. Way to take my predictions and make them have to fit into each other. <laughs> because uh, yeah, now I don't want to back down. <laughs> I like it. You shouldn't back down. That's bold. That's what we need in this city. I love it. <laughs> Speaking of bold, you better be bold with this one because this is tough. Lenner versus Flurry. I think that Flurry is going to have his final swan song season here. I think that he is going to show himself, even if it's just because of how he perceives that he was slighted over the summer or how his job may have been taken from him. I think that Flurry is going to come in and is going to show that those acrobatic saves aren't just fun to watch, but they keep the puck out of the dang net. I, I mean, think- how much of that is the psychology behind being a multiple cup winner, being drafted one overall as a goaltender, and then being, I won't say disrespected, I'll let people make up their own minds as far as how Vegas treated Mark andre Flurry, but how much of this is just, I don't know, a little little nudge, a little push to be, to be motivated a little bit more as someone who's done it all. 
Mark Andre Fleury's best year of his career was 2017-18 after he was given up in favor of the younger and quite honestly less Inferior. talented uh, goaltender in uh, in Pittsburgh. And so I think that there's an opportunity for Mark Andre Fleury to have that same sort of chip on his shoulder FU season where he doesn't care who he has to go through. He is going to stop that puck and drag this team to a Stanley Cup final. And I think this time the, the result could just be a little bit different. I think that Mark andre Fleury has enough in the tank and can be driven by enough anger and frustration, you know, you know obviously masked in his smiling, bubbly personality, but <laughs> enough anger and frustration that he puts up his best season to date. Wow. Breakout player. Yeah, I, I, I've already I've already mentioned him, but I think the guy that's really going to break out, the guy that's going to be the story of the season in terms of holy crap, where did he come from? Nick Hague. Nick Hague is going to okay. Nick Hague's going to have a huge season, and I think that there is there are going to be a lot of people that say, "How did we let a six foot six, smooth skating defenseman with a howitzer of a shot and a bit of a mean streak slip all the way to the second round and out of our grasp?" There's going to be a heck of a player there. All right. Hot takes for the year. And let me just qualify this by giving one of my own. I think Cody Glass being relied upon for such a huge role on this team so early and so, I'll say relatively unproven, but I even think that's being generous to him. I think it's a hot take that he's not your breakout player because if he isn't, I'm scared out of my mind <laughs> what the offense is going to look like. Talk to us a little bit about why he wasn't your breakout player. Is Nick Hague just going to surprise everyone that much? Or what's well, your I, thinking there? Part of it is that Cody Glass, I think, is even if he has a, an outstanding season, People need him to have an outstanding season. I don't think it comes as a because surprise. of his draft status, perhaps. Exactly, he's drafted okay. sixth overall. He, you know, he should be doing pretty well by now. I don't think that people are going to, you know, be that excited about a guy that you know is just doing what they expect him to do. I think Nick Hague flies further under the radar, but I, I know people are worried that if Cody Glass isn't the savior, that this team can't win a Stanley Cup. Well. I just, I don't think there's anything to that argument. And if only because this team has never had any hesitation about going and shopping big at the trade deadline. And if the Vegas Golden Knights need a second line center or a top center to head into the, the Stanley Cup playoffs, they'll figure out a way to do it. If they have to move salary, they'll move salary. If they have to move picks, they'll move picks. And if they end up having to move Cody Glass for a long-term center solution, I think at this point they'd probably do it. I don't think any of those things are going to happen. I don't think they're going to have to happen. But if this team is lacking down the middle, they will fix it before the playoffs. If there's one thing that both you and I agree on 100% is that team is not exactly afraid to make a move at the deadline. <laughs> Good, bad, or indifferent. They are not afraid. All right. So we're doing predictions. Let's just go ahead and get this one out of the way. The division. I think it's pretty safe to say the top three teams of the West MasterCard Visa American Express division or whatever it's called. 
<laughs> it's pretty locked up. It's Colorado, St. Louis, Vegas, in no particular order. I think we both can agree on that much, right? Yeah, absolutely. All right. Who's that fourth team in your mind? You know, I tend to think that the San Jose Sharks are going to have an, a little bit of a rebound season. I was hoping you'd say this. Yeah, I, I don't get me wrong. I don't love the idea of the Sharks winning any games, but the Sharks are not a bad team on paper. Eric Carlson, if he's had what's now been almost a full year to recuperate uh, and rehab and get himself back into, into top hockey shape and a, a top six that, while not as stacked as it was uh, when they were a regular playoff contender, you know, they, it's certainly good enough to compete in this division. And when I look around the rest of the division, when I look at Anaheim and LA mm. and Phoenix, then I, I don't care if Arizona, Phoenix. I'm calling them. I love Phoenix. that you just, I love that. I do that to this day. I cannot tell you how much I love that you just did that. Thank you. And then the only, t- the only team that I think has any ability to give them a run for their money is Minnesota. And so Minnesota mm-hmm. has some really good talent. Matt Dumba is a good player. They, you know, brought in elite goaltender, uh, uh, Cam Talbot. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, they're, they're right. there, but they're not they're great. Beautifully and, mediocre as Minnesota often is. Yeah. So, so I would expect the San Jose sharks to eke out past the, the, the Minnesota wild, only to have their dreams crushed and put into an incinerator uh, and they can pick something like 20th uh, just to keep them that much worse for that much longer. But man, is that the, the Pacific division of the future is going to be an absolute bloodbath. Absolutely. Trevor Zegras leading a charge of very talented prospects in Anaheim and LA Quentin Byfield leading maybe not even leading, just being one of several elite, elite players uh, that are coming up through the Kings system. Uh, If you're a Golden Knights fan, and I'm going to guess that you are, get used to the idea that those teams are going to be nipping on the Vegas Golden Knights heels, and that when the Golden Knights are at the end of their window, those teams are just going to be opening theirs. Speaking of... Pacific Division talent and prospects. Ryan Merkley was sent to the AHL today. On that note, why don't we get a prediction from Jack Manning for Thursday's game? Thursday's game, the Vegas Golden Knights are going to beat the Anaheim Ducks four to one, uh, and the game, the game winner, so the second goal will be scored by Shea Theodore. All right, all right, all right, all right. I'm going to go ahead and pull the full Jack Manning special here. Golden Knights win five to nothing. Full optimism, boys. And we're going with the shout out to Robin Leonard, who starts the season off for VGK. Of course, Shea gets on the board, but you know, that's just his style as it is. Either way, Golden Knights win in an absolute blowout to start the season. And what happens after that? I'm pretty sure Jack and I come back to record sometime after the season starts off really, really well. What do you think, Jack? Yeah, I I think that chances are pretty good. We're back for another episode. So guys, thanks for letting us blow some sunshine up your butt for a couple hours. Uh, This has been uh, Jack Manning. You can find me at NHL Jack Manning on Twitter. AJ, where can they find you? VGK underscore watch on Twitter. 
All right. And so we will be back with our next episode after the first couple of games. If you have any questions, if you want to get your comments on the show, shoot us a message, leave us a comment. Remember to rate and review this podcast on Apple iTunes or wherever the kids get their iPods now. And uh, go ahead and make sure that you leave us that that like and review because it helps us. I'm not really sure how, but that's what other podcasts say. So thank you for, for being with us. And until the next game, keep up the watch. We can hit predictions. We don't have to hit every single one with, you know, 10 minutes of thoughts or anything, but just to blow you with, wow, phrasing Whoa. pal, phrasing pal. Whoa, let's go to the end of the episode. <laughs> Actually, that'd be great.